We are uh, going to enter into a series this morning about knowing God's will. <clears throat> Have you ever thought you knew God's will and you made a decision based upon what you thought was God's will and when you get to the other side of that, you, you know, you take, you come to the crossroads and you think as best you can on behalf of God, I should go right. And you go right, and it goes wrong. Like, doesn't, it doesn't at all turn out the way you thought it would. Because you know how we are. We, we take a step on behalf of the Lord, and when we do that, we begin to build in our minds sort of the picture of what will then happen. That hope. It's a small little hope of if I follow the Lord and you, you go right, and it, but it goes wrong. It, it doesn't work out. It, it, not at all like you thought. And then we're sort of left in that place of going, well, what do I do now? How do I understand God in that moment? Well, how do I make sense of the Lord? You know, in our honest, uh, best estimation, we humbly seek, we pray, we lean, and the reality unfolds in such a way that is so different, so almost as to feel wrong. What do we do? You work hard in school, you are convinced you're going to be a doctor. And you've placed that dream before the Lord and it keeps coming back. You know, everybody tells you, oh, you'd make a great doctor. And you, so you, you go and you work hard. And God's part of this dream. God's part of this prayer. And you, there's a lot of things you don't do because of it. People have more fun than you in college because of it. People have more romance than you do because of it. You stay in when they go out. And then you take the MCATs and you bomb them. What was that? Or you have a job. You're settled down, but you feel the Lord making you uneasy where you are. And in a pursuit of him, you uproot, you leave the bird in the hand, and you go. You take another job with, I guess, a hope and a promise, some enigmatic picture of what, what better is, and you head towards it. Two years later, you find yourself out of a job again. What do you do with God there? Uh, you want children. And when you married, you did it the right way. You know, you look to the Lord and you say, Lord, we did it right. And you open up the Bible and the Bible's full of passages about children and birth and blessing. And you think you're in God's will. But you don't have a child. What do you do? 
And we can ask this corporately also. As a body of believers, as a fellowship, this very same sorts of uh, things can come confuse us. You know, our, our sister campus in Wilmington, they stepped out in faith, they went, they labored, they sacrificed. There's good folks there. When I go and preach there, my heart is so full of joy for the maturity of that body. And yet, three and a half years later, it's hard, and they don't see the fruit they thought they'd see. What do you do with that? Or here in Hokesson, many of you know for the past several years, some of you might say for the past well, we might say pastor since the whole time you've been here. We've been asking questions about our facility. And uh, we've been asking, we've had two teams, we have teams working on it, doing hard work, asking questions. We've asked some unpopular questions over the years. You've let me know that. Why are you asking that question? We're asking stewardship questions because we don't want to be unwise with the Lord's money and we certainly don't want to be unwise with his fellowship. And finally, after long last, we have a design that we're proud of, a plan that we believe in. We even have nice pictures for you. And the price tag comes back the wrong price comes back. Like wrong, like by a million dollars. You know? So we were thinking, maybe this picture is a four million dollar picture. That's a five, five and a half million dollar picture. Oh, Lord. What, what do you do with that? That's what we're going to spend the next five weeks on, not just that question, but the question of when we, f- when we step out and we come to a point of decision and we bring the Lord in on the decision and then we, we go one way, we go right, and it turns out to feel wrong, what do we do? So I'm, uh, this series, this time of discerning God's will, it's not going to answer every question about God. I'm not going to answer you know, why do bad things happen to people. It's... It's in the lane of when we're seeking to follow God. And the steps become so erratic and unpredictable. How do we really come back to God? I'm not talking about the Christian psychology we use to go, oh yeah, this is, this is for the better. I'm talking about really how do we find God's will in that? And in do so, stand back up under his faith. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to do it personally and corporately. Uh, we are all individuals. And my hunch is that when you come into the fellowship, you have your life in front of you, the issues in your life. And I respect that. And it's real. I, I want to also put in front of you, you're part of a fellowship. You're part of the church. And we have the church life. And we need to talk about that too. So the kind of the running example, because I don't know what's going on in your life, so the running example that I'm going to use is this fellowship asking a question about our building. But the principles that we find in Scripture are valid all over the place and should, I hope, help you in whatever circumstance you're in.
I want us to look at a passage in Romans, and it's going to come up on the screen. It's Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And we've been in Romans before. We were here in the summer, so we've, we've covered these passages, but we have a slightly different emphasis this morning. The emphasis uh, this morning is sort of on the end of the second verse. But let, let me go ahead and read it to you, and then we'll uh, begin to talk about God's will. This is what Paul writes. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable perfect. Now there's a few things just to sh- in the sitting here in the passage. Right up front, I, I, I want to say to encourage us, encourage you to band together with us as we ask this question corporately. This teaching is not personal, it's corporate. I don't know if you saw it. I appeal to you brothers, okay, to the brethren, the fellowship, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, is that what it says? As a sacrifice. Paul's writing to a fellowship about how the fellowship ought to be. So again, while we're, why oftentimes we mine the word with our life in mind, <clears throat> much of the word is written with our life in Christ in mind. If you kind of grab the general gist of this passage, uh, one thing surfaces that's pretty obvious, which is God has a will for our life in our church. There's a will. God has an intent for us. And to be in his will is sort of the the end of, of life, the purpose, the goal. That's here's Here's just a very even paraphrase of, of what's being said here. The writer is saying to the church, look, in light of what Jesus has done for you, in light of the mercies you received, this, this morning, you know, if Paul had this in front of him, he'd say, in light of the mercies of God, in light of the fact that Christ came and gave his life for us, and through him we find new life and hope and dignity in the Lord, and love from God, and forgiveness, in light of all of that, in light of the fact that God doesn't discriminate the high from the low, that he comes to all people and raises them up together, in light of that, he says, you should give your life to the Lord. Your life becomes his. And don't turn back again to the things that once you fed with, the things that once fed on you, the things that made you less and pulled you away and brought darkness in your life, don't go back to those things anymore in light of the mercy of God. Rather, be transformed into a new person through the renewing of your mind. Understand what God, who God is, and as you do that, you'll be new. And when that happens, then you'll know what God wants for you. That's what the passage is saying. 
To be in the will of God is the goal. The arrival. The Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's sort of the heart of the prayer. Now I want you to notice here that knowing the will of God is not simply a matter of intellect. Right? In fact, even though there is a renewing of the mind, <laughs> that's not really how it is, how it starts. In view of the mercy, you give your life. We present our bodies as a sacrifice. I mean, the picture is almost so wholeheartedly throwing yourself into the Lord's work. This giving yourself to the Lord. It's a committed soul, not, a, not an intellect that finds the will of God. And with that in mind, it's, when we're searching for the will of God, it's often not found with a spreadsheet of pluses and minuses or pros and cons or strengths and weaknesses or a gifts assessment. That's not really how to find the will of God. If, we, if the will of God was always hiding behind the pluses and the pros and the strengths and the gifts, why is it that so often in the scriptures God does his greatest things through the minuses and the cons and the weaknesses and the absence of gift? Moses, don't send me, God. I stutter. I can't speak. You're going to be my mouthpiece. Who does that? God does that all the time, not occasionally, all the time. His will is so often counterintuitive to your spreadsheet. It's more than that. Finding the will of God is not a matter of the intellectual pursuit. It's also often true that that which resonates as true to the committed soul does not resonate to the intellect. You and I always have a reason not to do the will of God. I have lists of reasons why I should not do the will of God. Pages of intellectual reasons to avoid the will of God. The will of God takes seed in the soul. The parable of the Good Samaritan. There he is on the ground as a man who's beaten and bloodied and in dire need of care and has had everything he had stolen from him. And who walks by in the parable but uh, a religious leader and someone from the priestly tribe. And they look at this man and through intellect have reasons why they should not help him. The will of God is found through the pursuing of God. Also, the will of God is often not visible or audible, even though you and I want it to be. We want that, don't we? Could you just put a rainbow over the house you want us to buy? Right? You know, you should I buy this car? And you turn the radio on, hoping that, you know, like, K-Love is playing. I don't know how, I don't know how cheesy you are in your pursuit. God, if he is visible, is not cheesy, so don't do that one, okay? 
But the truth of the matter is God's rarely, rarely is he going to present his will to you in a way that's audible or visible. This is visible. God has given us his word. This is way better than a rainbow, by the way, because it says a lot of things. There's deep instruction here. And God's given us his spirit, which pushes and leans and whispers in our heart. As we begin to talk about understanding the will of God, I want to make sure we don't get something out of order. Because whenever we get to a decision or a crossroads in life, we want to know what does God want. we're, We're a group of folks who are interested in God. And some very committed, some just curious. Either way, if you're here, my hunch is when you get to an important crossroads in life, you want to know what God has to say. And I want to make sure that as we begin to talk about pursuing the will of God, we don't miss the big thing for the small thing, okay? You want to know the will of God? The will of God is that you would present your body as a living sacrifice to him, holy and acceptable. That's what his will is for you. That is the real answer. And when you do that, the promise is, then you'll understand his will as good, perfect, and pleasing will. And I don't want to miss that. That doesn't sound practical. It doesn't reduce into bullet statements. It doesn't fit well, but it's true. The will of God is that you would see his mercy for what it is. And when you would see it, your response would be to move into him. And then you'd understand. And I don't want us to, you know, for us to focus on how do we know the will of God, to be that practical, runs the risk of getting the right thing in the wrong place. We are not trying to become people who, when we have a tough call to make, loan ourselves for a time to God. Okay, now I'm going to get spiritual so that he can answer my question. You're reading the verses backwards. You're starting in the second verse and ending in the first. Give yourself to God. And when you give yourself to God, he gives himself to you. So, as we enter into a conversation of understanding God's will, please understand, we are, we're already in this sort of derivative of the true picture. All the time we have to say why we are pursuing the Lord, while we are giving our lives to him, here's how we seek his will in the meantime or in the way. That's more to the question. So, so how do we understand? We, we are at a place of decision as an individual, as a church. We pray to the Lord and an answer comes back that doesn't make any sense. How do we begin to make sense of it? I'm going to offer you four ways to think about it this morning. Four ways to kind of conceive of God's answer. And the first one is, God did say yes to you. You know, you prayed and you, had, you wanted something and God did say yes to you. He just didn't say it the way you thought he would say it. You know, you, you, wanted, you wanted a house and God gave you a house, just not the house you thought. So there's times where... You, you had the wrong yes in your mind. Or the yes you had in your mind was just a little bit unrealistic. 
you know, our minds do that. We, we airbrush in our head and we, we paint glossy. We H, it's full HD, glossy prayers in our mind. You know, we have picket fences around and daisies in our sort of prayer mind. God has his kingdom in mind. And so very often God takes kind of the, the picture we have and pushes it against the, the frontier of his kingdom. If you're going to play a role in his expanding kingdom, typically the, Im- the true image is a little more earthy and grainy because it's touching up against something that God wants to renew. I would say there's times in our mind where the yes we have painted is, it's not sinful, but it's carnal. It's just fleshly. It's not evil. Yet we've moved a lot in my life. Uh, I always imagine the house we're coming to and it's on the wrong side of the road. I have never got a house on the right side of the road. In my mind, I have, and I've wondered, is it because I'm left-handed? And, and I, I've wondered, is it because most realtors are right-handed? That they try to, I mean, I've gotten conspiratorial over how do I always get the wrong side of the road? God said yes, just different side of the road. You know, I think the, if I turned to the Lord and said, but it's on the wrong side of the road, I think that would be, that would not be good, right? He might take the house from me or something. So sometimes God does say yes to you. It just isn't exactly like you thought it would be. It maybe requires a little more faith. And maybe it's like, yes, and along the way, maybe you grow a little bit. Yes, and along the way, maybe you step out in faith a little bit more. That, that's the, the picture. Uh, we want it easy, and we want it pretty. And God wants, God is real and loves earth. Okay? Uh, this is the times where someone says, I guess I have a bigger leap of faith than I thought. Gideon, the story of Gideon in the Bible reminds me of this. He's a judge. The Lord raises him up and says, hey, there's people oppressing my people. You are going to lead the Israelites to victory over the oppressors. And Gideon's pretty sure he's the wrong person, so he asks a lot of times, and the Lord is pretty visible with him. And so Gideon assembles this big army and is heading out to battle, and the Lord says, whoa, what are you doing with all those people? Here, let's send them home. And so when, when Gideon finally peers into the enemy's camp, he says they're like the sand of the seashore. And Gideon attacks them with 300 men. This is a period where God says, yes, but your yes and my yes are different. I get more glory out of my version of the yes than your yes. But it's still a Yes. Is it possible if, if you're at a decision point and you're thinking the answer you got, is, uh, is it possible that God's still saying yes to you, just not the way you thought? Is it possible in our church that it's yes, just not exactly how we thought? I don't know. Here's another one. So sometimes the Lord says, yes, just not the way you thought. Sometimes the Lord says, not yet. Not yet. Just be patient. Wait on the Lord. 
In other words, there's not any real problem with you. It's not you. It's God's doing something. It's God. Uh, you know, things aren't quite at the right time. Just be patient. And if you're going to present your, your body as a living sacrifice in this environment, that living sacrifice is the sacrifice of patience. Just like in the first setting, if you're going to present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, that sacrifice is the sacrifice of faith. I guess this is yes. I'm going to step, even though it's not the yes I thought. This one is you're sacrificing patience. You're showing deference to God by waiting on him. And if, if you happen just to be, if you're a really good Christian, but just a dumb Christian, okay, and you're seeking the Lord, you just like read him wrong, he's not a jerk. He loves you. Do you think if the good father sees that one of his children humbly waiting on the Lord when God said, actually, I was going to give you like a gazillion dollars, send you to Maui, do you think he's going to scoff you? He wouldn't do that. He'd pick you up. He's a good, good father. I mean, to, to me, he's got a lot of dumb children. He picks them up and he uses them. It's a sacrifice of patience. I once was on a flight line in Memphis, waiting to fly from Memphis to Columbus, Mississippi, when we lived there. And we were in this tiny little airplane, like one seat and half a seat. You had to stand and hold a rail, like on a bus, practically. And it was time to take off. It didn't take off. Delay, delay, delay. About a half hour in, the flight attendant says, you know, and I'm angry, like many of us are, like, it's hot, it's Memphis, it's summer, can we please get to Mississippi where it's hotter? (laughs) And the flight attendant says, I want to really thank you all for waiting. We've been holding our, on the flight line because um, congressman, there's a congressman from Mississippi who was late getting out of D.C., and he wants to connect so he can get home to his family for the weekend, because otherwise this is the last flight to the Golden Triangle Regional Airport for the day. And the moment I heard that, I was so grateful. Like, can you just wait five more minutes so that this dad can see his kids for the weekend? Yeah, I can do that. Sometimes God just wants you to wait because something else is out of place. Give your body over to him as patience. I will wait on you. The Hebrews did that. The Lord says to Abraham, know this. Abraham, all of this land is yours. All of this land is yours. But first, you're going to go be slaves for 400 years in Egypt. Why? It's a problem that's with Abraham? No. It's because the people who live in the land, their sins have not yet reached the full measure that warrants the wrath of God. So God says to Abraham, you're going to go be a slave because of my mercy on them. That's our God. Can he ask those things of you from time to time? Because he has a bigger world in his mind. I think so. Could that be it with the building? Just need to wait on the Lord? I I don't know. Maybe. Here's a third one. So sometimes the Lord says you don't have the right yes. It's not the right yes. Sometimes not yet. See, I'm trying to give you things he can write down, like not yet. I'll start with in. Uh, 
uh, not until. God wants to say yes to you, but not until you fix something. There's something in you that's wrong. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's an oversight. It's just an area where there needs to be maturity. That if he were to give it to you now, he's not saying no. He's saying, see this, work on this, and yes. And when we are giving ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord, that requires that when we, when things turn out unexpectedly, we turn back to ourselves and say, is it me? Lord, is this something I need to work on? Is this an issue in my life? That's what it means to be offering ourselves to the Lord. My call to ministry came six years before I was free from the active duty Air Force. It was very confusing for me. Why in the world? And the Lord didn't call me quietly. It was one of the few times in my life, very, very audible, very real for me, very life-changing when he called me into ministry. But it was very confusing to me. Why would he, why would the clearness of that call come with the confusion of the fact that for six years I can't do anything but you know, I have another master. Well, the truth is, I needed every day of that six years. I was entirely unfit for ministry. And some of you are saying, I needed 12 years, buddy. Right? <laughs> but I, I, I know at the very least, I needed every day of those six years to get ready. Otherwise, harm would have happened. More harm would have happened to myself and my marriage, and harm would have happened here. Sometimes God says, eh, not until. Let's work on this. He does that to the, the Israelites. Remember, he brings them up to the threshold of the promised land. Here it is. And they say, we're not going in there. There's giants. And he says, well, you're right. You're not going in there now. Forty years in the desert. Forty years. Go figure out what it means to have faith. For 40 years. Not until you have faith are you going to go into this promised land. 40 years, they come back to the promised land. He says, go in. And what do they say? Yes, sir. You want us to run? Not until. Is it possible? God is saying, not until. Like, yeah, yes, but see something first. Maybe. Maybe. Here's a fourth one. It could be no. <clears throat> when you pray and you come to a crossroads and you ask, right, and you have this answer in your mind and something so uh, different comes back, maybe that's because the answer is a no. Maybe, maybe you asked for the wrong thing. Maybe you asked poorly. I'm very thankful for some of the no's I've received from the Lord in my life. They have protected me. As a father, I was going to say, I don't like to say no. I actually love, it's like my hobby, <laughs> saying no. But it really, when the things that matter, I like to say yes. Right? And so as a parent, sometimes saying no is way harder than saying yes in those, in those important things. Maybe God said no. 
When we are a child of God and he says no, what's important to remember is it's not a ubiquitous no. He's not saying no to you as a person. He's not saying no and don't come back and talk to me anymore. He's not saying, oh yeah, you're so-and-so, you're the, you get a no. That's not him. He doesn't have a Rolodex and he pulls your name out. There's a big old crayon and no on it. That's not God, okay? For his children, when God says no, it's because his will is somewhere else. In other words, there is somewhere else is a better yes. Somewhere else is a better way to live or understand him or grow. He's not just saying like, no, have a cup of no and leave. No, he's saying no because there's a better yes somewhere. Paul the Apostle. He has this thorn in his side. This thing, this tormenting malady or problem. And he says in the scriptures, three times I went to the Lord and I asked the Lord to remove this tormenting thorn in my side. And what did the Lord say? No. The Lord said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Now, you could see that as a big no, or you could see that as there's a better yes. Paul, my perfect power, through this weakness, my perfect power is going to come through your life. You want that? Do you think when Paul heard that, he said, well, can instead of your perfect power coming through my life, can you get rid of the thorns? Can I just get rid of the thorn and of your mediocre power? No. The Lord is saying, I'm saying no to that because through that, through your weakness, I'm going to glorify myself through you. Jesus is the same thing. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if this cup could only pass, What's the Lord? The Lord says no. No, because he wants to see his son tortured? No. He's saying no, because in that small no, there's a much greater yes. No. The cup will not pass from you, because I am about to raise you up in glory and seat you at the right hand, where, where death will be put to death, and I will shame sin, and I will break the grave, and I will save mankind through you. So right now I'm saying no. Because of what I'm going to do. One day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that you're Lord. So no. There's a better yes. If you feel like the Lord, if you feel like you've bumped your head against God's will when you're seeking a decision, and you've searched yourself out, and you've waited and you've, you're sure that's not a yes in some other sort of way, maybe the Lord's saying no. Maybe the Lord has a better yes somewhere for you. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians that says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. You know, if we just retreat back to the promises of God, we find God's always eager to say yes in Christ. Maybe that's just what you need to do is retreat back into what God says he will do for us and find a home there. Uh, We are going to ask this question corporately in light of the the building. And again, I, I hope you can take it and apply it to your personal life, but I also want us 
to, we have a very real question in front of us. Next Sunday, I was, I was whistling the Bob the Builder theme song. I was, you know, can we do it? Yes, we can. I was convinced. <laughs> like, we, we're, we, we as a fellowship are in a place to, to learn from the Lord right now. And I'm asking you, I'm asking you to commit to these next four or five weeks to be attentive, to be spiritually connected, to be part of this church. Do not, please do not think, well, the five people in that room are going to figure something out. That is not the will of God. And so as we ask these questions, I'm going to challenge us over the next following four weeks. The first one is the challenge to our faith. You know, it's one of these opportunities to go, is it us? Is it something we, is it something we're viewing right? Is it something we need to work on? And so I want to challenge our faith. Maybe it's a challenge of faith. Maybe the question we're going to ask is a question of stewardship. Because stewardship is the, the question of faith, is it not? The tithe. Over the next fall, we're going to be asking ourselves, before we even talk about like sacrificial giving to raise money for a campaign, are we even tithing as a fellowship? And that's personal too. The tithe is for you. It's not for me. We're going to ask that question together. Is there a lack of faith in what God can do? That's the first week. The next week, we're going to try to grasp the truth, challenge ourselves with, are we, do we understand God wrong? We're going to examine the vision of the church and make sure that we're not either, our hearts don't want to build for the wrong reason or don't want to not build for the wrong reason, that we understand what God's doing. We've got to remember, we're not talking about a building for us. It's not us we're building the building for. It's for the equipping of the saints, many of whom are not here. So we're trying to get those things in order and make sure that we have the right frame of reference. Our third challenge is going to be one about how do we seek the Lord? And we're just going to spend time on prayer and fasting and quietness before the Lord. I'm going to be trying to find ways to encourage you in those disciplines before the Lord for yourself in personal life, but also for us as a corporate body. Some of you are probably thinking, I don't know how to fast. We'll try to offer you ways to think about it, ways to, ways to walk through it so that you can please the Lord and not just be confused with what seems to you to be an ancient ritual. We could pray together better. And finally, we're going to have challenge our perspective on things. Do we maybe have, view all the pieces that God wants us to see, just see them in, in the wrong places, the wrong sizes. I do know this. If we, re, if we find ourselves retreating back into the promises of God, it's yes. We just need to carefully walk and say, God, how would you have us understand your will here? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, in light of this, as we come to your table, may we be reminded that you did uh, present your body as a living sacrifice, literally. And it was holy and pleasing. It was acceptable to the Lord. And through the acceptable body of Christ, Lord, we have life, we have hope, we have the joy and opportunity to pray to you.
I ask, Lord, as we ask questions about your will for our church and as individuals, Lord, that we would step in, step in and closer to you. That what would really be happening would be a progressive committing of our lives to you. Presenting our bodies as sacrifices. That's what we want, Lord. We ask you to sober and bless our hearts now as we come to your table in confidence, reminded that your son saves, reminded that we have mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.